Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hello, welcome back to Out of Line. I am Annie Friday. This is a podcast about pushing back on some of the norms within the world of education, where we have come so far away from centering the child and centering the relationships with the child. And uh, we're letting go of control for control's sake. Recently, I had a couple of different guests on and we shared a little bit of the same topic and we wanted to go a bit deeper and um, explore the topic of nature and being in nature while black and some of the obstacles in particular that come up with that. So we have Ashley Jefferson here with us today. Hi, Ashley. Hello. And we have Kisa Marks again with us here today. Hi, Kisa. Hello. Um. Ashley, I'll start with you. Want to give us just a brief introduction? You've been a pretty regular guest. Our listeners probably know you by now, but um, maybe even focusing on your connections to the outside world and the nature education. Okay. Um, So I am Miss Ashley, early childhood enthusiast and play advocate, um, educator of over 20 years. That's usually what I lead with. Um, But I do have a um, initiative called Play Pan African where we focus on outdoor education and culturally um, relevant education for children um, that are of the diaspora. So we do a lot of um, meetups and things. We had a an, an, uh, a homeschooling group. We've switched over um, kind of our focus now to where we are focusing on more families outdoors. Nice. Awesome. And you mentioned some of that programming on the last episode we recorded, yes. um, which will come out just before this one. So this is kind of a follow-up to that. And Kisa Marks, you and I shared a conversation recently, a podcast that came out in April about um, what it, how to, how you became a nature educator, and and then once you got there, you never looked back. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, Kisa. Yes, so I have uh, twenty years in early education as well, but I am brand spanking new to play based the play based arena and the nature-based arena. So um, four years being nature-based and two years being 100% play-based. So that's, that's so exciting. Never shifting back. Nope, never looking back. Awesome. Well, we're going to dive right in. This is a fairly heavy topic. Um and we we need it. We need some education. Uh, we have a lot of white listeners, a lot of listeners who maybe aren't in the U.S. and don't necessarily know all the history of the U.S. and um, or maybe who are underinformed in the topic uh, for other reasons. But Kisa and Ashley, there are a lot of um, efforts being made right now. There, I see gr- different groups. Um, particularly focused on getting black people and people of color outside in nature in a safe way that feels good to y'all. And I'd love to hear kind of why that is and where, um, where the safety, you know, like I've always felt pretty safe outdoors as a white person. Um, it felt like something white people do go hiking and canoeing and all those things. Um, tell us a little bit about the history and, and why maybe, it's not the same for black people and people of color. Mm. You want to start, well, Ashley? 
Sure. Um, well, I'll start kind of with my journey and then kind of segue into that. I think my family kind of grew up overall doing things like camping. So um, I didn't do camping as much when my parents were divorced, but I always kind of had a familiar familiarity with being outside in terms of family life. Um, so I kind of carried that with me and it's kind of always been in me. I know that as I did the educational world, a lot of the spaces for um, the schools, any of the schools that I had for, you know, the, the fancier ones that do like forest schooling or they're outside, they're already in and of itself, there just weren't a lot of Black children there to begin with. And the idea of doing a forest school was a fairly new concept as far as Black children are concerned. So I think there's a lot of layers to that. I think um, just overall in spaces that have access to things that children really need, Black people just haven't been included in that. Now, that said, um, I will say that as someone that has done a lot of playgroups and things and just even from state to state in Massachusetts or in Los Angeles, um, that's not a state, the city, um, <laughs> but um, in California or even in Georgia, culturally, there's just a lot of differences between the social groups there. So I, I can say that. Um, all that said, I think people generally tend to connect with the people that look like them. And so on one hand, I do think there's kind of a gatekeeping of sorts that's happening. I think there's a layered history as it relates to Black people outside in the woods, especially um, when we talk about being in the woods at, at during the dark. Um, but I think uh, it also just comes down to people go where with people that they look like. Now, that said, if there are no spaces that are created by Black people where they can bring their children, then that's a different um, conversation that we're having. So we're already excluded, but then we're also not even pushed to do so because of our history. Um, I've noticed in Georgia, there are a lot of hiking initiatives, even not so many camping. And I think there's a difference even with that, too, when people how they feel about outside. OK, well, I can go for a hike with a group of black people. But you're talking about staying overnight. That's a little bit different. That's a little spooky. So um, really okay. peeling out the layers of things that um, uh, are uncomfortable for us um, and even going hiking. There are usually a lot of single people there. They're younger or they don't have any children with them. So I'm always bringing my son with me. But those spaces just I it's not often that you see that. So I think um, this is a layered conversation. But definitely, um, I think we have more work to do in terms of the understanding the benefits of nature, understanding the benefits of going outside and lear learning like basic survival skills and also the fun of it um, and doing it in a group setting even. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. The Ready for me? It. I love keeping the fun in it. It's always got to come back to fun and play. <laughs> yeah, too. no, for sure. It definitely does. Mm -hmm. mm. That was like a, a a little bit of a um, lofty question to start with. So thank yeah. you for taking us through on your journey and and yeah. and telling us about how um, your own relationship with the outdoors has evolved over time. Kisa, mm -hmm. I know you mentioned that on our um, podcast that came out in April. Expand a little bit for anyone who maybe didn't listen in on that. Yeah. So the direction that I took with um, my group for nature play is kind of the urban route that you can find nature anywhere and where I grew up um, I shared this with Ashley as well there weren't a lot of parks there weren't um, a lot of green spaces woods 
think the closest woods is 18 miles in one direction and 11 miles in the other direction. So you just had what was in front of you, you know, the grass, the sky, whatever trees were on your block. And so that's the route that I take, even though we do have an abundance of woods and things here. I just want the kids to be able to um, kind of take in and appreciate the nature that is sitting right in your face. Having said that, being from the South side of Chicago, there is an issue of safety. And I don't really believe that it's a matter of um, Black people not being one with nature. It has to do with one erasure. And it has the other thing is safety. If we can't go and be in the woods without the police showing up, if we can't go without there being um, some sort of violence taking place or people policing you, then you're not comfortable in those spaces. You don't spend time in those spaces. And then if you do go, as Ashley said, you don't see people that look like you, there's already going to be a level of discomfort. So it's so layered as to why we aren't out there. Mm. But I don't believe it's because we don't innately want to be there. And so that's what I want is like to us to get back to like, this, this is ours, just like it's yours. And we all need to be here in making it like kind of clear that we all belong here. Not It's not yours and we're just watching it. We all belong there. Mm. I love that thought. Yeah. Um, and I love you. You broke it up into erasure and safety um, erasure. I mean, that's like from the very conception of this country, right? First of all, obviously we decimated... Yep. Um, you know, hundreds, millions of um, indigenous people who lived here who had really complex, beautiful communities, society, you know, we like to think of uh, there being a few small communities that were living like brutes, and and that just wasn't the case, right? And we erased that from history. Um, We probably, I don't know any personally names of people who have climbed like Mount Everest, but people who follow that stuff know the names of the white men who have climbed the mountains. They don't necessarily know the names of the guides who were indigenous or people of color who got them up there. Um, you know, we've tied up this cute little okay. story about Pocahontas leading the white men across the country and taking them out West. Like, Oh, that's a pretty story. Um, there's, there's just not talk of it in our earliest stages. Um, so there's been chunks of history completely erased, which I think is a big, huge thing happening right now. And, and um, I know people like to say like, I don't like getting too political. Well, it's not really political. It's, it's a matter of fact that like by taking out chunks of history from our textbooks or our classrooms or our learning environments, we're, we're missing out. Um, all of us are missing out, right? Nobody is free until we're all free. And I know for us um, at our unschooling facility, that's a huge part of why we unschool to begin with. It's that collective liberation piece. Um Anything else, any other thoughts to add on that topic of erasure right now? Yeah, I think, so I do think that it is uh, region specific as far as Black people being interested in outside. So I I actually do think that a lot of people have a lot of fears with it. So there is a hesitancy when it comes mm-hmm. to going outside, but that's because we haven't been exposed to it or we haven't had access to it or we're not aware of the benefits of it. And in that sense, we've kind of been left out of it, but you know, even for me, when I host campouts, most of the people that come, even living in Georgia, the South, where we have plenty of access to outdoors, a lot of them are like, 
uh, I'm not doing that. Or I need to make sure that, um, you know, part of it is I, I usually find black owned spaces. There aren't a lot of black owned farmlands or even camping grounds um, out here. Um, there are a few, but not um, not a lot, especially not like wilderness, wilderness. So even when I have people that come out in families where it is black owned space, there's still fear behind it. But I still think that comes back to we haven't been exposed to it or we've been living in the city. So um, again, I think there are different parts of it and different reasons why we got to that, but there's definitely um, a sense of fear where people are like, what does that mean to go outside in the woods? What can we learn outside of it? That said, when we're talking about like um, indigenous cultures or just being connected, I always bring it back to the fact that, you know, when we are connected further with our roots, um, and I always draw that parallel in terms of Playpen African being connected with roots in terms of the actual soils of the land and actual DNA and where you go back to a lot of our um, ancestral well, everything comes back to being connected with nature, um, but especially with African culture, um, cultures, I should say, um, once you learn more about that, you know, the elements are all in there. Being grounded is all in there. Um, and that even that disconnect with not understanding where you come from and understanding cultural traditions and how nature plays a role in that. Of course, you're going to be misinformed. Of course, you're not going to understand the reason why there are benefits to nature, even on the spiritual level. Um, so a lot of the work that I do, even with the kids that I have, we talk a lot about that. Like, who are we as people? How do we connect with nature? How can we connect with animals? Um and then bringing their family into it to, so they can start understanding that. Because I have parents who are like, oh, I'm not doing, mm, no, bugs. Eh, 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 eh. And I understand that. I think that's a thing across the board. But also just this idea of being outside and that being a space where we can feel comfortable to um, to grow from and to um, kind of connect with ourselves. I don't know that that's something that, again, there's definitely been gatekeeping. There's definitely a loaded history that comes with it, but also just because we haven't been exposed to it, there's all sorts of fears that come with it. So um, I think there's a bunch of things at work here. Um, I will also say, actually, no, let's head to the next question before I go off more on a tangent because I will. <laughs> I love your tangents, Ashley. Lisa, <laughs> did you want to add anything to the part about erasure? And I mean, it is a, a fully loaded history, as Ashley just said, way more than a 25 minute podcast could ever address. Yeah, I think the bottom line is that it's just nuance, like everything else in our history is just so many layers in terms of the erasure. I, I think there's something to be said about the generational fear, how we pass it down. And, you know, like we don't know. And because of that, we're fearful. And then there's the safety aspect that makes us fearful as well. But when it comes to the erasure, you think about it, if this is, if we were living on land and respecting the land and understanding the elements and everything, and that was also ancestral and generational but then it got mired down with racism and violence and all of these other things and that made us kind of veer away from it so at our core we're connected to nature but I think by and large the history has been is that they don't participate in that mm. and, and I think so the that's where the play 
Yeah, and, and I think we're missing one major point that I think Kisa and I kind of already know, but we haven't really said. You have to understand that Black people associate the woods in nighttime as being lynched. Mm-hmm. So the history, yes. especially in the yes. South, so that's when we're mm-hmm. talking about fear and things like that. That's where it's coming from. So when we're talking about yes. going in spaces that might be pre- predominantly white, especially in the South, um, even though we have access to it here, um, you're thinking about people were taken from their homes and lynched or shot. There's KKK history. So all of that is still there. So it's not Mm -hmm. just about being afraid of being outside. It's legitimate. So we're being taught that there are sundown Mm -hmm. towns where there's a bell and you got to be back in the house. So the idea of being outside on a subconscious level is problematic. So I think that's another point. I think I always assume that people understand what I say when there's fear from history, but that's literally what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what a sundown town is, um, you can go research it, but essentially it's by a certain time, certain towns, there was bell, every black person had to be inside, you know, like, and you didn't have access to certain things. So now when you're talking about going out into the woods where people are being burned at the stake or whatever that is, being lynched, all of that, um, there's a history behind it so no we don't come from a space that's been healthy outside with white people so I get it um and that's why I've done the events that I've done because you have to um do it in a space that's inviting and ultimately we don't even have pictures of our children of our families outside that wasn't happening and I, I mentioned that in the last time we spoke but that's really why I I started to take pictures of what we were doing because I knew the benefits of it. Um, I wanted other Black people to know the benefits of it. I wanted other Black people to see that Black children could be outside together safely playing outside and that they were learning and growing from that. That wasn't really happening. And I think I mentioned it last time as well, like even looking for um, photographs of Black children playing outside was like, it was virtually non-existent. Um, I think we've gotten slightly better. Um, I wrote a book about it, but, and it it didn't even capture all just black children. I was focusing on everyone, but um, it's still um, few and far between. So that's where the fear that we're talking about comes from in case that wasn't clear to listeners that there's, there's just, we think of being lynched outside Mm -hmm. and, it's not a fun feeling. Yeah. So there's a whole talk that we have. I have a lot of um, pre- precautions that I share with whoever comes on my trips. I, I look for exclusively Black-owned campgrounds. We have done it where it's been um, public s- spaces, but ultimately that's usually what I do. I look for Black-owned campgrounds. I say that there's only going to be Black people there. Um, and you have to because People need to feel safe, you know, where they're being very vulnerable. They're sleeping at night outside. What does that mean for them? So even if it hasn't happened recently for them, they've heard of stories. My my grandmother, um, her uncle was buried alive. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens. So if we're skipping over those parts, one, I don't think people quite understand it as much. But there's a, a, a valid fear that Black people have when it comes to going outside in the woods, especially at night. Yeah. Yes. That and and it is extreme. My grandfather was is my actually my the who raised us um is my great uncle. So he's no blood relation. He's married to my grand my great aunt, but he is um Emmett Till's he was Emmett Till's first cousin. So they grew up together, they lived together, slept in the same bed, everything. So our 
our family's history is like not at all. We're not <laughs> we're not touching that at all. And 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 she is right on the money what she's talking about. That history and that fear is not just, oh, I'm uncomfortable with the bugs. This is about like actual safety that mm-hmm. we're talking about. And it does um Pat, you pass it down to your children because you want them to be safe. You want them to survive. If it's late at night, we go in the house. We're not going to be out there at all. So yeah, I do agree. And I, I just want to add that um, I've said this before many times. Ashley's aware of it. When I came to this space, Ashley was the first um, page that I saw that was like me who was out there who actually beyond what I was doing. She does have like we're in the woods. We have pictures. Oh, we just lost Kisa for a second. Um, she was in the middle of a good thought too. I love uh, that 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 connected you both first, Kisa and Ashley. Um, your love of nature. Yeah, and and like I said, um, how I started was we had a forest in the back of uh, my apartment building, and the day just went completely different with it. So I I knew that it was something that we needed. I had worked at a farm, um, but again, it was a private school in Massachusetts. There may have been one or two or three black children, but there were a ton of other white children that were there. Mm -hmm. So there were definitely discrepancies. So when I decided to open my own program where we focus on outdoor education, I knew that I wanted it to be something a little bit different. So when I started to post on social media, I was really focused on I just need pictures. I need people to start seeing that. um, I needed people to start seeing that their children could be out there too, and they could be having fun. They could be engaged. So I'm thankful for the journey that um, we've had. Um, I hope I've been able to showcase more. I'd like to do more photography. I know it seems small, but um, I'm telling you, just try and Google black children outside in nature as far as photos. It's hard to um, find. Mm -hmm. Um, There are select, but it's just by default. It's the white faces of children. So I've definitely tried to share our stories um, as far as our perspective in Mm -hmm. hosting more children outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before my phone went crazy. I'm sorry about that. I was trying to say how impactful uh, uh, Ashley's page age was to me so there's nothing small about it if you look around you don't see anyone you don't see anyone doing that and now like you said there there are a few more pages popping up but by and large it was non-existent and just to see so many black faces so many little children out there doing what you should be doing and getting all the wonderful benefits of nature I, I just thought it was just life changing to me. So thank yeah. you, Keisha. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, and we know that we use children's literature in particular in a way early on in life as mirrors and windows. It's a term we use a lot in early childhood, right? Like it's a way for a kid to either see themselves or to get a peek into somebody else's world. And so we're all missing out by having a lack of that content. Ashley, mm-hmm. you just changed that. Your book just released this spring, April. Yeah, um, tell us about it a little bit. Um, so my book is called All of Me is Nature, and it is exploring the outdoors through your senses. Um, this was a book that um, you know, I had already built a relationship with Little Feminist Book Club. They have a subscription service um where they 
uh, offer books to people that are more inclusive. However, there were just some topics where they were like, there just aren't a lot of options for us. So we got to start writing them our, our own. So they had contacted me um, with a list of topics. And I knew immediately, I was like, I really want to do a book on Black children outside of nature. Um, and what it evolved into was just this idea of understanding how children um, learn um, and that's through the sentence, sentence uh, senses um, in whichever senses they have access to and how they experience it. So that's going to look different for each child. Um, and what I will say is, you know, as a lot of the photos in there, I took personally, um, but I was realizing there were elements like I because I live in Georgia. Um, and I wasn't taking photos before, or I didn't, I wasn't doing the outdoor education piece, like in other parts, like when I was in Massachusetts, I was just working in re regular schools, but I didn't have those pictures. And so this is one of those things where you're looking up stock photos and you can't find pictures of black children outside um, doing a snowball fight. And it's really frustrating. Now that said, I do think with our book, we kind of um, readdressed it to where we were focusing on all children, which I still think is a story that is valid and it's important to share. Um, but one thing that I came to understand in writing this book was that I'm one person and I have my experiences. Um, a lot of times when we buy books with black faces on it, the authors are not black. And mm. I would get frustrated with that um, because I, I do believe that it, it's my job to tell my story, the story of my children. Um, no one else can tell my story in the way that I could because I come from that. And so even in me writing this book, um, we did our best. And one of the beautiful things that Little Feminist does is they reach out to people and say, hey, we need children that are pictured doing X, Y, Z. So it really is a community effort in terms of we get submissions from all over from people um, with different experiences. So we, I felt like we did the best that we could to capture as many children in as many ways as possible. So again, it's not even just like outside in the woods. Um, some children are in the desert. Some children are um, looking outside because they live in an urban area. So we tried to speak to as much of that as possible. And not all children have um, access to all of their senses. So we wanted to keep that in mind. And so, um, but even then you, you get to a point where you say, I can't tell everybody's story. I can't. So even when we're having this conversation in terms of things or um, organizations being more inclusive, I think it's um, important not to um, dismiss people or leave people out. But I no longer have the expectation of other people being um, sharing my story or sharing sharing my child's story. Um, what I need uh, to happen is for more Black people who are outside to share their stories so that it can be open. Um, and, and I've always kind of thought of uh. thought of things that way in terms of do for self. Um, but again, it comes down to not excluding people based on that. Now, I will say my program has been primarily for Black children, but that's also, there's reasons behind that. And we kind of went over that too, um, just making sure that it's a safe space. But when you have access when you have plenty of um, imagery that's okay for your children, there's no need for you to gatekeep. Mm -hmm. And I think that becomes a problem. But ultimately, again, what I realized during this process is 
I can't tell everybody's story. I don't know everybody's story. I don't know what that feels like. I'm sure we did not capture every child. We had a limited amount of pages that we could do. Um, only so many pictures we could put in there. Um, we did the best that we could, but it was really just an effort to say, we see you outside in nature. We know that all children can benefit from nature in whatever way they, they can. Um, value nature because you are part of it. So um, that was really our goal with this book. I do plan on releasing more, um, maybe more that are focused on Black children in general and what that looks like. That would be really cool to do. Um, but this is just a start. There's still a host of other books um, on nature, especially featuring Black children that need to be made as well. Yeah. I was wondering, I'm only familiar with your book, Ashley. In my mind, it's like one of one. Do we have other books like yours with our actual children of color in nature? Um, I think there any. might be one. I know. So children, I, I don't know. Um, you mean with photographs or illustrations? For photographs. Photographs, not so much. Um, I know, I think, uh, Outdoor Afro, they did start to, um, they, I believe it's Outdoor Afro. I, I could be wrong, but they have a new book that's been released of, um, I think that's kind of like everybody of all ages. Um, so it is the, the Black experience outside in nature, but I don't know how many pictures are in there of children um but that's kind of one of the only other books that i can think of i off the top of my head i don't know of any that doesn't mean that there aren't any but i know done in the way that my book is done especially right. we're showing showcasing all children in that way um i will say no um but even if there are for what you're asking it's very very limited and i'm just saying there might be just because i don't want to say there aren't and there is one yeah, and this is as early educators when we're familiar with a whole bunch of books, and I can't. Yeah, think of. yeah, and I pay attention. Again, to that. I'm not saying there are any. Absolutely, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't pay know attention any to that. Right, because again, if you have my program is an African centered program, and again, if we're doing outdoor education, my literature has to reflect that. So most of the books that I pick and select, they have black faces on that, so that children are feeling affirmed, all of those things that we want for our children because we have to go the extra mile to make sure that they see their faces. Now that said, when you're looking at books and you want to support Black authors and they're not Black, a lot of people profit from Black faces um, and they're telling stories that, you know, they resonate with Black people, but it's important to have an authentic voice that's um, telling the yeah. stories of actual Black children. So I think that's something that's worth talking about too. Um, making sure that we are having black authors tell the stories for our children. Yeah. There's a, there's one book I know of called black faces, white spaces that was written by a black woman named Carolyn Finney. Um, but that's more, more to the parents and more. To the people. Say, yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's a, more of an informational book, but you're talking about like a children's book, right? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And, and the, I mean, I think that's such a huge piece of it too, is that, um, that piece of belonging and, and white people in general, and I'm, I'm overgeneralizing here, tend to believe that we belong in every space and we belong in every group and we don't like being excluded. And I know that's coming up with some of these um, outdoor groups that are very targeted towards specific populations or specific groups. Um, you know, there's 
all, all kinds of different ones. And I, I, I know that um, as a white person, I know I don't belong in everybody's space and that I, I, my mere presence somewhere makes some people feel less safe and I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm not okay with that. I'm working to undo that, but um, I'm okay with not being part of every space. And so yeah. I guess, um, you know, Ashley, you mentioned that was part of your program and, and really safety being the number one Kisa, you mentioned safety earlier. We've talked about passing these messages down through your family, through your kids. You also have the epigenetics. We know enough about science now and biology to know that whether you're sharing these stories and passing them down that way, they're living inside your DNA, inside your blood. Um, So speaking to the safety, I mean, we all saw a few years ago when Christian Cooper was out bird watching in Central Park and was attacked because why would a black man be bird watching? That's not something we equate with a black man's activities um, in our society. They don't do that. What'd you well, say? <laughs> I said they don't do that. They don't right. Do that. And what's so funny too? I actually, um, we are on a break as far as the program is concerned. But I found a black birder, and I was always intentional. We have a wildlife teacher that is black that would come in. Um, I always outsource vendors so that our children, again, could be exposed to people who are doing outdoor education. And so it was so funny. I think he's in Alabama. I can't remember his name. Um, My apologies. But he, I I said to him, I was like, where were you when the school was open? And um, he was like, I've been here. He was like, (laughs) really why I'm doing this work because um, we we need to have more of a presence because there are a lot of Blackbirders that are doing some amazing things, some amazing photography and things. So um, really I've always been trying to pull from that too, because I am only one person. I have one group of children, but I know that there are experts in the arena of wildlife, you know, or biology or um, environmentalism, all of that, they're there. So using those resources that are around, whether they come to me to educate children on nature or we go to them, that's always been a priority. So it's funny that you said that, but they exist and um, it's unfortunate that that happens, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if you think of that person's name, we can share it out later. Absolutely. Um, I know we have a poster hanging in our learning center called Heroes of the Great Outdoors, and it features all Black faces and and Black leaders. Um, The person who originally did that poster, their name is Aaron Wilson, and they they are white. They identify as a white-bodied person, so they have come to realize that, like, they weren't the person that maybe should have made that artwork, right? And so they don't want to profit off of it anymore, but it is still available um, in particular for programs serving black youth who want to showcase that. And it comes with like a great packet of information about each person featured and some of their biography. Um, that's on Aaron, E-R-E-N, kwilson.com, Heroes of the Great Outdoors. Um I just, can I say something to that? Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. You know, it takes a lot of self-awareness to say, hey, this is a little uncomfortable that I've done this. I I think it's a great initiative. It's a great start. But even for me, again, as I was writing the book, um, it's not a a fraudulent feel, but like, even for me, when I'm saying I want everybody included, it was still kind of like, I don't really, I, I don't know this. So we need more of, those people to share their stories, you know what I mean? Whatever that looks like for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just interesting to me. I'm wondering, and and this is a kind of a different topic, but 
taking on that role of saying, hey, I'm going to be the one to tell this story. Like there's such a comfort in doing that. Um, you know, mm -hmm. for a lot of white people where they're saying, I can tell the story with a black child on it and it's fine. I would never think to do that as an author. I, I just wouldn't. Um, and I don't know if that's just me or not, but I, I definitely had no intention of writing a book that wasn't informational about the culture. But even from, I, I guess I'm, I just, I, I just think differently. I, I don't do, I wouldn't do stuff like that. Um, and even in this case, it was kind of, again, uncomfortable because I wanted I want their stories to be shared and not everybody was like me. Um, and, and I think it was okay in this sense, because again, we had the contributions from the families um, to be there, but that's an interesting thing to just, I don't want to say the audacity, but that's an <laughs> interesting thing to be able to move through and say, I'm going to do a book that I know there's a need for it. So I'm going to be the one to write it instead of saying, nudging someone else say hey there's a need for like, that you know what i mean it, feel it, it, that. yeah yeah that, that's that's a different level i get yeah it's a different level of audacity because I, I would never think to do that hmm. or maybe i'm tripping i don't know <laughs> no no i i agree with that i'm like but i also think it speaks to the fact that if your voice has been largely removed from a representation, then you would feel like, mm, that's kind of gross. I don't want to do that. I don't want to represent yeah. somebody. I would rather give them the nudge. So maybe yeah. it's our perspective from having, yeah. you know, our stories not told that we, may, we wouldn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I that think makes it's sense. okay to use the word audacity. And I think in this case, we're talking about caucasity and we all know that <laughs> term. And yeah. It's true. I mean, <laughs> we so I, like white people, we think we're supposed to be everywhere telling everyone's stories. We're, we're the gatekeepers of all curriculum and every, yeah. you know, I think that that's one of the things that was most mind blowing to me in my, you know, midway through my career as an educator, like learning about, I, it never occurred to me, where do textbooks come from? Who approves them? You know, the power that typically white women in that case are holding we're gatekeepers what's happening now in politics and education like who's what why is any politician care what is being taught in a classroom right like right and I get it to an extent mm -hmm. in some circumstances maybe but like what we're talking about these days is is just ridiculous and off the wall and you're right they're there for years and years and I like to give some benefit of the doubt, maybe to authors early on, like in the sixties and seventies, some of the first, you know, like um, footprints in the snow, like maybe at that point, black authors weren't even being entertained at all by publishing companies. Yeah. So a few people were like, well, we have to tell these stories. I, I think you're right that instead of telling them ourselves, there was an easy way to say, let me figure out a way to create a platform, but it takes a lot of divesting to say, no, I'm not going to make money, right? Whether it's off this book, off this poster, off mm -hmm. of an experience. Right. Um, and that's that's the trip up of how embedded capitalism and whiteness are. And the fact that we're all, you know, we're taught that we're supposed to be like doing our best all the time to work the hardest, to make the most money, to always be improving. Um, and, and it takes a lot to step away from that. It takes some conscious effort and not enough white people are doing that right now. I think in the terms of safety, like how can white people create more safety for people of color and black people outside people who identify as black body people? Stay out the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <That> suck. <laughs> <Is it? laughs> Just 
yeah. stay out the way. Because, that's it. That's it. Yeah. I really do believe in self-sufficiency. Like, and we, I think it is, it falls on the part of black people handling, handling our business. And when we are so larger institutions, I should say, um, can provide funding for stuff like that. I know that's always been an issue. Anytime I've had my kinfolk campouts, which I do once a year, I was going to do it quarterly, but it's honestly exhausting, but it's literally a big camp out. And we have a bunch of um, kids performers come out. And so it's like a big concert <laughs> for children um, at night. And so like supporting financially, sure. Um, because there's always, you know, as, as far as funding grants and things like that, that is one thing. But other than that, stay out the way. <laughs> resources, <laughs> donations, that kind of thing. But we really have to, especially with something that's so sensitive as this, I, I think it's something that we have to get comfortable with and have those conversations on our own and just kind of be on the, the outside of it. Maybe, again, I, I think it's like, how can we offer resources? But do not bogart the whole thing. Don't take over it, you know, um, yeah, I think that's what it comes down to for me. Yeah, I think it it's staying out the way and also making space because if we're not at the table, we don't need to be at the table. We can build our own table, but we have to have space to do so. If you're stepping in and telling us what to do and, oh, we, you know, taking over everything, then we're not allowed to create our own space, our own lane and our own table. So we need to have the space to get in there and do things the way that needs to be done for us. And, and so I think for, that's very, very. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think even that's exactly what I would say with what Kisa said. And so I, I'm, I'm imagining that some people might have a hard time trying to understand what that looks like. What, what does that mean? Um, that really does come down to um, maybe seeking out organizations that are in need of help. And then supporting them that way, because mm -hmm. if it's something where we're saying we need the space that yeah. might not. What is that? What does that mean as far as we need space? But it's literally maybe you do the legwork, look for those organizations and say, hey, how can do you are there resources that you need are, you know, um, gardening tools that you need for your program? Things like that. I, I think that's what that looks like is give us access to the stuff and then just let us work on it and let us build it on our own kind of thing. Um, if, if people are trying to figure out like what that would look like specifically. That's a great suggestion. I think we talked just before starting to record too, about evaluating and looking at who you're supporting, who you're amplifying um, as a white person. If you're joining other groups, like look at their history, ask them about how they handle inclusion and in the outdoors, how, you know, talk to the people who have been around their organization, how they feel about it. Um, don't just listen to the cheerleaders. Also listen to the skeptics. Yeah. Do your research, do your digging. Ashley, you made a great point earlier, bringing in experts. Um, if you're if somebody running a program or running a classroom and you can bring in experts, bring in people who are not white, who can talk about the outdoors. They exist. You might have to look a little bit harder to find them. Um mm -hmm. Or maybe you don't. I mean, I think that's a that's a big piece of just showing, again, those windows and mirrors. Show people, show children that there are people like them who exist in the natural world. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think that's a really good one. That's important. Yeah, 
That's a good one. Mm -hmm. I want to touch back on the the making space. What my mind is thinking about with the making space is, so we have um, a very large um, conservatory in Chicago, and it's in the heart of a predominantly Black and Hispanic neighborhood. But the majority of members and the people who fill the space are white and the people on the board are white. And so in all this wonderful land, the people of the community don't need a part of it and need part can't bring them in because they don't even have a say. Mm-hmm. in that space so you broke when, up a little bit I'm, I'm gonna jump in something things like that jump like in it. to explain a little because you're breaking up a little bit so I think okay. what I heard you saying um is the large conservatory in Chicago that sits in the middle of a, a, a historically black neighborhood that's still black today and most of the mm-hmm. people attending most of the people on the board in any seat of power are white people mm-hmm. 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 yes and so they like they have a say in their own neighborhood with all of this beauty and nature around them, they can't, they don't even feel like they have the right to take part. And so when it comes to people who sit at that table, it's important that they have space to create the ideas and bring the people in who live in the community. Mm-hmm. And so when I say space, I mean that we need other people on the board we need other people calling the shots that look like us to have the space to do so if Mm. that's more clear and it didn't get broken up (laughs) no it it made sense Mm -hmm. and i think you're right and i think it is it's an awkward step to learn at first as a white person but again we've already talked about how we we white people think we belong everywhere and there have been a few times in recent years when I've been given an opportunity and I've had to really ask myself am I the best person to fill this role or to speak at this event or I look at the other list of speakers and if it's already 99% white what's my voice going to add to the to the you know picture right like I don't want to hear just from white people either Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Even with my puppet show, and we'll get back on nature, like the process of this idea of telling the stories of people of the African diaspora, it's it's such it's exhausting because I'm one black person from Massachusetts that now lives in Georgia, but I don't have all of the perspectives of everybody from that. So I've literally for one of our episodes that we did, black I had someone from Ghana come in and they did the voiceover. They spoke to me in the episode, but it's such, it's a lot more work, but do you want the accuracy or not? Mm. Do you want the truth telling or not? Um, yeah. And I think we have a responsibility to make sure that people are able to curate their spaces in that way. So I think what both of you are saying is really important, but I also, not but, and I would also say that just asking questions of what people are needing and they'll tell you that that is um, that's that's a great step. What do you need? Mm-hmm. How can I support instead of just jumping in and then trying to take over? That kind of thing is really important. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. 
Ladies, I feel like we could talk all day long. We we absolutely could. <laughs> we could make another five episodes about this. Um, thank you so much, first of all, for for joining and and sharing your stories and your experiences. Um, again, it, it is a heavy topic, and it's not something we're trying to make light of at all. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of work for white people to do in learning that history. There's a lot of work. Um, and there's a lot of joy in learning that history because from learning where we're coming from, it can help us understand where we are now and create the space, create the opportunities you are both talking about on this episode. Um, so thank you very much for joining final thoughts at last words, anything. Well, I'll say thank you. No, for- I just hope that the. Go ahead, Kisa. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you can go. Let's just say okay, that. I'll go. Go. Ah! Fire. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Kisa, you go. And bam. Kisa's on a little delay. Go ahead, Kisa. No, I was just saying that I hope this keeps going. That, that we see each other and we're inspired and we know that we have a space and it just keeps growing and growing. And then you'll see the realistic view of how we approach nature and how our children should be out there. Yes. Yes. And I want to say thank you for this conversation and even having it. I think um, this is a first step in towards of allowing in towards um, as far as allowing people to share their stories and um, in ways that we can better create spaces for all children outside in nature. Um, I think that's really important because um, there's a lot of initiatives out there um, that are doing the great work of having children outside, but are we including everybody um, in, are, are we, are we, highlighting everyone, I should say. Um, And I think that's really important for all of us to kind of get a better sense of. Mm, Yes, absolutely. Thank you. That's such an important thought. And um, hopefully this episode's coming out right as we transition to summer and we can all really think about these kinds of things. And um, I will make sure that I find a list of organizations you can give money to, because I think, Ashley, you make a really good point. Give the money, make the space, Kisa says, get out of the way, like just step back and and do your thing in nature and don't be obnoxious. <laughs> I saw a really right. funny meme the other day or TikTok or something about like white people yes. hiking or like, hi, 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 <laughs> smiling and saying hello to everyone they pass. Oh my like, God. You don't even need to do that. Just, just no. move on people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Act normal. But it is tripped out though. Living in the city, it is tripped out because when you, walk down the street and people would clutch their purse or look at the ground when they saw you. So now to have someone actually make eye contact and speak to you like they see you, Mm. that's tripped out now to notice that. That is hugely different. Yeah. Okay. Another, another topic for another night, but yeah, I mean, these are, these are um, individual, (laughs) but also universal experiences. We're talking about Georgia. We're talking about Boston. We're talking about Chicago. We're talking about Michigan. Like these are the, this, the the similarities exist throughout all of these experiences and so a lot to learn and a lot yeah. of work to do and um, thank you both so much for joining for this conversation thank you thank you bye bye yeah. 
It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work, and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.